I know I, I start this podcast every week by saying this has been so much fun, but it really has. And we've got so many more stories uh, coming your way. This is the Moments in History podcast. I'm Colin Holt. That's Val Cook. Uh, boy, we've told some really good stories over the last few weeks, and we've got some good ones coming your way uh, on this one as well. But something I was thinking about over the last week or so, um, and trying to think of you know, summer now, a little easier to get around, places to go visit. Uh, it's fun to drive through these little ghost towns uh, oh, they're all, all around over this the area. Yeah, all over the place. Uh, I know, actually, when I first came out here, one of the first places you took me uh, was down to, to Piedmont to see the kilns. Oh, yeah. Well, that, what an interesting story that is. There, there's a thousand stories I could tell you about Piedmont. And we're, we're calling it a ghost town, but the four or five people that live out in that area still think they live in Piedmont. So maybe it isn't a ghost town, but it's close. Uh, but so many fun, well, fun, interesting moments in history. Uh, that we could talk about. I remember one that just pops into my mind about somebody robbed, I think it was a store in Piedmont. And of course, Piedmont was a major population center back then. And uh, it was one of the stops right on the railroad. And so there was railroad access directly from Piedmont into Evanston. It was quicker to go on the railroad than it was by horse. And let's not go too far into the Piedmont story because there's a bunch to unpack there. But uh, just to give a little bit more context... Uh, it was, you know, they were they were burning the wood out of the Uintas, right? Yes. In, to make it into coal for fuel for the well, for the railroads, and that's why it was such a big population. It was, it was made into charcoal, not coal. Okay. It was a charcoal burning thing, and they would send the charcoal that, via the railroad down into the steel mills down in Utah to fire the steel mills and melt the steel, and and so they could form the different plows and whatever they were using the steel for. So so that gives you a little bit more context as to why Piedmont was such a, a big population center and why yes. it is no longer that. Yeah. And so then that takes us back to the story you were starting to tell. Yeah, okay. This gentleman robs a store after, I'm pretty sure it was a store. It was after the store closed, and he went in and got into the safe and stole a bunch of money. And as he was leaving, he broke a window in the back of the store to get in and out. And as he was leaving... He hooked his heel of his boot on the window seal or jam somehow, and it pulled the heel off of his boot. And so as they were investigating, they heard the ruckus and they went over immediately to investigate. And the sheriff found this heel that had newly been torn off of a boot. And he got to thinking, you know, if I had a bunch of cash in my pocket, what would I do? So he and the deputy got on the train and the next train through and rode down to Evanston and they started going through the saloons until they found a guy with didn't have a heel on one of the heels off of one of his boots. And they arrested him and found the money on him, and <laughs> he was caught because he lost a boot heel. I have so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. Did he not notice that he had lost a good chunk of his boot? Did he well, notice but not have the time to try to go back? I have so many questions. I think he was just in flight mode and didn't want to go back, didn't want to be caught. Maybe there was a loud sound or something because the sheriff was almost immediately, immediately on the scene to um, investigate it, and that's when he found the heel. So, so he probably wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. Then, yeah, exactly. So he was definitely in flight mode, and I don't know if you've ever lost a heel off of a cowboy boot, but. It's not easy to walk. <laughs> and what's funny is he makes it to Evanston. The first place he spends his money is the, the saloon, saloon yeah. not the <laughs> not going to the to the local cobbler or whatever to get a new boot. Yeah, uh, and that that ends up being his demise. That's hilarious. There and there are a bunch of Piedmont stories that I'm sure we'll oh, yeah. get to over the. You I know, mean, 
Do you know the story of the Butch Cassidy robbing the Montpelier Bank? Does that have a Piedmont connection? Uh, in some... In some stories I've heard, yes, okay. because because they said that the three members of Butch Cassidy's gang that took place in the robbery in Montpelier, and they met in Piedmont. That's where they came from various places across the West and Southwest, and, and they says, hey, we've got a target up in Montpelier, Idaho. They've got a lot of money coming in there for various things, and we know the time that the money's going to be in the bank, and let's meet in Piedmont. And then the story is, is the three of them went up to a little area uh, just outside, speaking of ghost towns, a little ghost town on the Idaho-Wyoming border, and they were bringing hay into a ranch there while they planned their escape route and, and checked everything out before they robbed the bank. And this is the Butch Cassidy. Butch like Cassidy. When you're hearing that, yes, it's the Butch Cassidy that yeah. you've heard of. And, and there was a man named Henry Meeks, and everybody called him Bub, Bub Meeks. Now, the history of Henry and Bub is they both come from Mormon families, and they their families had come west with the Mormons, and then they were sent up to the Bighorn Basin in Wyoming to settle the Bighorn Basin. And Bub's family and Butch Cassidy's family, both Mormons, had ranches not too far apart, and so they think that's where the two of them met. Interesting. And now Bub Meeks went on a lot of different escapades, with uh, Butch Cassidy and his gang, but but the one he was on, he was holding the horses for the Montpelier robbery, so he didn't have a bandana across his face. And that's how he ended up getting caught. Have the three people that robbed the Montpelier bank, they assumed one was um, Ali, Ely. Anyway, he's a prominent member of Butch Cassidy's gang. The other was Butch himself, and then Bub Meeks were the three that robbed the bank, and they took off up Montpelier Canyon, and there was a volunteer posse put together that was going to go chase them, but they got into the canyon and thought there might be an ambush. So the volunteers got scared, and they stopped. And the sheriff and his deputy went on, and they found a place where the three of them had changed horses. They let the horses they bring into town just run off into the foothills, and they changed horses and took off, and they went back and organized a professional posse and never could find them. So this was in... 1896. In 1897, Bub Meeks was at Fort Bridger, and somebody recognized him. And they arrested him, and they took him, well, they arrested him on a different robbery charge is what they did. And they took him to Montpelier for a trial. Uh, so they went down there. He was positively identified as the man holding the horses for the bank robbery the year earlier. And he was convicted and sentenced to 35 years. Because he wasn't wearing a bandana, so they could recognize they him. They recognized So just a, a little zoom out and a geographical update. So Piedmont is uh, south of Evanston a little ways. Well, it's more east. Okay. It's about, it's about 20, 20 to 25 miles east of Evanston. Okay. And um, so then Montpelier, Idaho is up by Bear Lake. It's on the north end of Bear Lake, about 20 miles above the lake. Right, which is north of the southwest corner of Wyoming. Yes. And Fort Bridger is over closer to Piedmont, just so everybody kind of yeah. gets that that geographical idea of, of where these people were. And then and then the, um, the Bighorn Basin, in, in relation to that, is up above Thermopolis, Grable, Warland, that are all in the Bighorn Basin. 
So kind of uh, north central north Wyoming. Central Wyoming, yeah. So that just kind of gives everybody a little bit of uh, of geographical context. Uh, but that so how did they know? So that's what I, that's my big question is how did they know when they caught him in Fort Bridger for something else to take him to Montpelier uh, for a trial where they could identify him for that that Montpelier bank robbery? I think as the story goes, now this is really coming off the top of my head. Okay, but there was a person that was traveling through Fort Bridger. And saw him and recognized him as the guy that was holding the horses. Oh, okay. He was also present when they robbed the bank. Gotcha. And so he recognized him, and they had suspected him of being involved in some other robberies in the Fort Bridger area. So they arrested him on those charges so that they could extradite him to Montpelier to get facial recognition and from other people that were, that were actively there when the robbery took place. And from how much I've heard his name, Bub Meeks, uh, I'm assuming his story doesn't stop there. No, no. His, his story, um, they, they sentenced him to 35 years in the Idaho State Penitentiary, and it was reduced to 12 years, but he tried to escape twice. And the first time, it was on the Christmas Eve in 1901, and he was out by the hog pens at the, at the state penitentiary, and there was a horse there, and he jumped on the horse. The horse's name was Selim, S-E-L-A-M, Selim. And he rode off, and the posse followed him in the snow and followed his tracks and arrested him the next day and brought him back. And about a year later, he tried to escape again, and he just ran for the front gate. One of the guards shot him in the leg, and the wound caused his leg to be amputated. And the amputation caused him to go into a very bad uh, depression, he tried to commit suicide two or three times. They transferred him to the Idaho State Mental Hospital in Blackfoot. And he escaped from there and made it all the way back to his parents' house in the Bighorn Basin. That's a long way. That's a long way. For a one-legged person. Yeah. And there's no record of how he actually got there, but he showed up at his parents' house. That's insane. And he stayed there for a while, and his parents realized that he was really insane. And, and so they themselves took him down here to Evanston, where we're located out of, and put him in the Wyoming State Mental Institution, uh, where he passed away in 1912. So now in Idaho, get this, they have the old Selim, uh, named after the horse, endurance race that goes out of the old state penitentiary. And that they reenact that every no year. Way. It's a major thing. That's fantastic. And in Montpelier, they reenact the robbery of the bank every year during a city holiday down there. Just Do to they really? celebrate their history in Montpelier. Wow. And there's actually a museum in Montpelier that has a lot of this information that I've been passing on to you. Wow. So there's some some real characters in this Rocky Mountain Wild West region. Yeah, great stories. I love them. They yeah. they're just never ending. We've got a little extra time. I want to go back to Piedmont for a moment because you told okay. me a story once about the railroad in Piedmont and how that ties in with the driving of the Golden Spike. Oh, yeah. Something you and I talked about just a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Please tell that story real quick. When they got ready to drive the Golden Spike down in Korean, Utah, um, one of the vice presidents of the railroad for the eastern side of the states was traveling to be at the ceremony. And as he was getting closer to Piedmont, the railroad workers in Piedmont hadn't been paid for like three months. And they wanted their pay. So they actually took part of the railway apart and they stacked railroad ties on other areas so the train couldn't get through. And when it came up to the track removal and the railroad ties, 
they started negotiations. They says, get us our pay and we'll put everything back together and you can go on. Well, this delayed the driving of the Golden Spike about three days. And so they were able to get the money out, pay the workers. The workers put the track back together. And three days later, the vice president, three days after it was scheduled, the vice president made it down to Corinne where they had the driving of the Golden Spike and took the pictures of the two trains nose to nose and all the people standing around. But yeah, Piedmont had a direct impact on the completion of the coast to coast railroad. Uh, the completion, the golden spike hey, couldn't be driven until this guy got there and the guys in Piedmont stopped him. <laughs> so the, ne- the next time you, you hear about the driving of the golden spike, which is huge in American history, yes. right? Transcontinental uh-huh. Railroad. Uh, you got a little extra story to tell somebody and then you can sound smart just like Val. <laughs> I just I just read a lot of history and I love it so much it stays in my brain. Yeah, well, well we love it too and we have loved listening to you tell these stories. We'll be back again uh, next week and the following weeks as well. This is uh, the Moments in History podcast. I'm Colin Holt. That's Val Cook. It's a My Local Radio podcast so you can listen to us on mylocalradio.com or you can check us out any place that you get your podcasts. Val, thanks so much as always. Thank you. Have a good day.